to our campuses to week two of our series entitled Gratitudes. Come on, let's just welcome all those that are joining us right now. Yes. All the men and women at the St. Tammany Parish Jail, Orleans Justice Center, we so appreciate having you guys with us each week and all of our campuses. Can everybody say Happy Thanksgiving? Come on. How many are all excited to eat on Thursday? Anybody in the house? Man, it's awesome. It's the one day legally you can eat whatever you want. You can take a nap, get up again, and do it again. Come on, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Well, I am excited. We are in actually a short series, three-part series. I'll finish it up next week, but it's a series. We're actually mixing two themes. Number one is a grateful heart, but number two is our attitude. So we hence have called it gratitude. I started last week and I said this. I said if God was able to take somewhat of a dipstick, kind of like when you check the oil, if he was able to put that dipstick into our heart and pull it out, how much gratefulness would he find? Well, this Thursday is the day we as Americans will gather around tables all across the nation, and we will celebrate Thanksgiving. Of course, those that know American history all the way back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that first Thanksgiving where the pilgrims were able to have a feast, and they, and they thanked the Lord because it was a, some brutal winters, and they finally had one. They were able to harvest, and it was a day. Actually, Abraham Lincoln was the president that instituted as an official holiday. You may not know that. So there, there is a day called Thanksgiving Day, and we love it, we appreciate it. However, as a Christian, I think that Thanksgiving should be reflective in more than just one day. I think it should be a lifestyle. This is the day that the Lord has made. What day? Today. Tomorrow we should get up. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be God. There's something about the power of a grateful heart. When we have gratefulness and we have an attitude of gratefulness, there's a, there's a, what I would call a gratitude, an attitude of gratitude. Speaking of having an attitude, I want to say this, an attitude can both either be positive or it can be negative, and it is highly contagious. There's a boy, David, who received a parrot for his birthday. He was excited about this. However, the parrot was a little bit aged. It had been at somebody else's uh, house. Somebody else owned it. When David got the parrot, David realized that this parrot had a bad attitude. And I'll be honest, a cursing problem. David was concerned about that. I mean, David had his friends over, you know, this the parrot just cursed people out. He just, man, you can't do that, you know? And so David thought, you know, I, I understand there's a retraining program that you can bring parrots through. And so, and you, you put, he put on soft music. He tried to speak nice words to the parrot. Nothing worked. Finally, he began to yell at the parrot. The parrot would yell back. He got so frustrated, just took the parrot, grabbed it one day, and just went into the kitchen, opened the freezer, and just, boom, put the parrot right in the freezer. Parrot just going crazy, just kind of squawking and hitting things, and finally just total quietness. Just, he got nervous. Oh, my God, I killed the parrot. He opened up the freezer door, and the parrot just, just kind of just nicely just perched right there, walked out onto David's arm and said, Kind sir, I perceive that I may have offended you. Please, I beg your forgiveness. David say, said, well, what happened? What, what, what changed? He says, before I tell you, can I ask you, kind sir, what did the frozen turkey do to be put in here? How <laughs> I mean, you know, our attitude can adjust one way or the other. I don't want to be stuck in a refrigerator. Come on. Everybody say Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. An attitude of gratitude. I was 
reading a recent study at Baylor University. I love research studies. I do a lot of that when I prepare messages because I like to kind of know what's going on out there. Four things about attitude. By the way, a, a good attitude can turn a burden into a blessing. A bad attitude can turn a blessing into a burden. It's, it's a, an attitude of gratitude is how you see life. It's the lens in which you see life. Four things about this I found from the study. Number one, gratitude reduces stress. I think I put this on your notes. Physiologically, it impacts. Gratitude, listen, gratitude is a lens. How, how you see life. How do you perceive life? It's a, it's, 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 a, it's a lens in which you can be two people experiencing the same things, but have different outcomes based upon what? Your perception of those. It reduces stress. Number two, the second thing about gratitude is it improves our physical health. I would add it improves our spiritual, our physical, and our emotional health. How many doctor visits, how many primary doctor visits related to people with stomach problems and issues and all this, and you go back and their basic frame of life is a negative pessimistic framework. Isn't it interesting how God has designed us when we look upward and we're grateful to God and others, by the way, not just to God. God being the primary, but also to others. And we regularly verbally communicate that to others. There, there's a certain physiological response. In other words, God designed us to be grateful people. Number three, gratitude protects us from negative emotions, such as resentment, envy, and regret. Why? Because a truly grateful person focuses on what they have, not what they don't have. If you focus on what you don't have, well, I don't have this. I had a friend of mine preach a whole series called The Mully Grubs. And somebody's just in the mullet grubs. And somebody that lives in the mullet grubs, they're always focusing on what they don't have. In other words, they're focusing. God has designed us with the power of focus. If we focus on what we don't have, yeah, then it's what? Somebody else has what we don't have. There's envy. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, well, well somebody's got, and, 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 now the, and, and I, so now there's jealousy. Do you see how that happens? So a grateful heart actually protects your heart from all those little insidious, toxic emotions that try to capture our affections. Number four, gratitude sustains our relationships. Do you like hanging around with negative people? Do you, do you like hanging around? I don't. I don't want to be those either. Matter of fact, somebody walks in the room, they're grateful. Man, how you doing? They're lifters. They're people lifters. Or there's, there's, a certain, there's a certain, what I would call a, 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 an attractive quality to somebody that possesses a grateful heart. And I got to tell you something. I, as my personality, I'm a type A personality. I like to be goal-oriented. I'm highly objective. I, I, I like to accomplish things. And I have a tendency in and of my own self, my own flesh. By the way, we all have certain propensities. And I have a certain propensity where if I'm not careful because I become so goal-oriented that I cannot enjoy the journey on the way to accomplishing that, or I can focus on what I've not accomplished versus what I have accomplished. I want to make sure that I am rejoicing in the portion of the day. Paul said, in all things. Everyone say, in all things. In all things, let us give thanks. I want to talk to you this morning out of a story in the Bible, one of the most powerful things on Thanksgiving. Matter of fact, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, it's a, it may be a familiar story to some of you. It's a powerful encounter that Jesus had with a group of people, and it really, what I would call, demonstrates gratitude, I think the best in the Gospels. Luke chapter 17. I'm going to read a little bit more scripture than I usually do to give you the full context. Verse 11 through verse 19. Here we go. The power of gratitude. The Bible says, now it happened as he, that Jesus, <clears throat> went to Jerusalem, 
He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Let me pause there for a moment. Remember, the base of Jesus was in northern Galilee and Capernaum, which was on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. So he's now coming down to Jerusalem. And he passes by a geographical area that is actually located between Galilee and the city of Jerusalem. And that's the Samaritan region. <clears throat> now, as he enters a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, and they stood afar off. Verse 11. And they lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Verse 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Very important. Look at verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? In other words, hey, where's the rest? Where's the other nine? Verse 18. Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, a Samaritan? Jesus was a Jew. Jews did not have relationships with Samaritans. And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. There is no disease in biblical times that carried with it the social, the physical, the spiritual stigma that leprosy did. If you understand the Old Testament, leprosy was not just a physical, it wasn't just a physical issue, but it was an emotional scenario. It was a spiritual. You were deemed by the, by, by the village priest, if I could say it that way, you were deemed unclean and actually quarantined outside the, the village with other lepers. Why? It was highly contagious physically. But it was also a spiritual sickness. Somebody that, that had leprosy, there was a spiritual and an emotional and a physical signature of that person, that person has to go. There was nothing worse in biblical times that somebody could contract other than leprosy. And here it is that Jesus, Jesus comes by a group of lepers. I think it's interesting to know that that, that the very posture of Jesus as he was coming from the northern part of Israel, he was coming to Jerusalem. Theologians and scholars believe, if you see this in the gospel, that he's making his final approach. He's making his final approach to Jerusalem. Of course, we know what that was all about. It was the consummation of why in which he came to give his life a ransom. And here it is. Here it is. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that one of the last groups of people that he interacts with prior to going to the cross is lepers? Here it is, these, these, these lepers, outcast, societal outcasts, rejected, no longer able to integrate with their families, no longer able to integrate, no, no, no longer able to, to connect. Their, their vocation was now, it was suspended. They're, 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 they weren't able to go have, quote, Thanksgiving dinners if they would have had. They, they can't do that. Why? Because they had to be quarantined. Medical science has obviously done so much for us today. We don't know much about that. Here's one little note of trivia. Some of you may not know this, but one of the last leper colonies in the United States closed in 1999. And ironically, it was in Carville, Louisiana, south of Baton Rouge. Anybody know that? Very interesting. Very interesting. In Bible times, there was no cure for leprosy. And the scripture is very clear that as Jesus comes, there's a group of lepers that they, that they heard about Jesus, they knew about Jesus, 
And they began to do something. Number one, they lifted up their cry to Jesus. It's there on this desolate terrain that Jesus encounters this banished group of lepers. Where was he? He was in Samaria. I want to give you a little Bible trivia. In 722 BC, of course, there was 12 tribes of Israel, but in 722, there was the group of the Assyrians. Where do Samaritans come from, Pastor? Where did the Samaritans come from? By the way, there's only 700 pure Samaritans left in the world. One of the major anchors uh, on, in, in the Israel on television is actually a pure Samaritan today. Samaritans came from Assyria. Assyria came and they intermarried with Jewish people. And often the case in a scenario like this, particularly in Bible times, there was a, where do they fit and what group do they fit in? There was such a racism attached to, 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 are they with us? Are they not with us? And so Samaritans had no interrelationship with Jewish people, which actually makes this story even more profound that Christ would even entertain talking to a Samaritan. Similar to John chapter 4 when he spoke with a Samaritan woman. And here it is, they're in Samaria as Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem and he hears a distant cry. And he hears a cry, the Bible says in verse 12, Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Why? They couldn't get close to people that didn't have leprosy. And they lifted up their voice and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy upon us. Here this colony is of lepers. They're, they're, they're joined together by their common misfortune of leprosy. But they knew something. They knew something about Jesus. And, and they knew if they could just get Jesus. They, they, they heard about the miracle worker. They'd never been to one of his gospel crusades. They, they'd, never, they, they'd never actually seen a miracle, but they did hear about it. They did hear about the woman at the well. They heard about it in Samaria because there was other times when, when Jesus did pass through. And they just thought to themselves, if we could just get this guy, listen, who is a problem solver, if we could just get the problem solver to connect with our problem, he could help us. Isn't it amazing that we often have problems and we try to figure it out ourselves and and we try to navel gaze and we go inward or, or we just try to figure it out on our own. And yet Jesus is a miracle worker. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still does miracles today. These lepers knew that and they began to lift up their voice. Jesus, have mercy upon us. Jesus, have mercy upon us. They were, they were spiritually unclean. They were emotionally unclean. They were physically unclean because of what? They contracted. I often think about when I read this story how often we can feel isolated because maybe not of a physical malady, but, but because of emotionally. Maybe something that you did or something that was done to you. And you can walk into a room and you can be in a church with thousands of people or you can go in a small group or you can go to work or you can be in a neighborhood or you can be at a ball game and watching one of your kids' ball games, and yet you feel like there's all this interconnectedness and people are talking and there's this collegiality and people are high-fiving, and yet, and yet you just, you always, you always just kind of feel out of step. You just, you just quite not, you just, you're just kind of on the peripheral. Because deep inside, there's this shame. There's a shame because something that's happened to you. And, and, you're, and, and, and we often get tormented based upon the shame of if anybody really finds out what happened to me. We have to think about these lepers. Maybe you'll find identification with these lepers today. 
Maybe not the physical malady, but, but emotionally, feeling ostracized because of something you said, something happened. Jesus heard the cry. I want to just suggest and submit and say whatever I can to you guys to hear this. Regardless of the pain that you're in, Jesus hears your cry. How many are grateful that Jesus hears the cries of our hearts? Number one, they lifted up their voice and cried out. Number two, the command. <laughs> Look at the command. Now, now I got to tell you something. Jesus sometimes tells people to do things that are, are a little bit different. Uh, they're a little bit strange. One time this guy with a blind eye came up to him and Jesus said, hang on one second. He went down, he got some mud, he kind of just spit in it and went, boom, put it right on his eye. But how I many you know the guy could see after that? Jesus can spit in my eye anytime he wants if I can see. Come on, are y'all with me? I mean, in the Bible, I'm just telling you, in the Bible. Now listen, in the Bible, it's, it's, it's sometimes, it, it, and, there, and there's a reason why oftentimes Jesus asks us to do things that are unconventional. Maybe we don't have a full understanding of. Look at verse 14. So they lift up their voice to God. They lift up their voice to Christ. I said, Jesus, have mercy upon us. Jesus gets, he, they get his attention. And he says, all right. He says, I want you guys to go show yourselves to the priest. We wanted a healing, and he's telling us to go see the priest. Why are we supposed to go see the priest? Well, Jesus knows the Old Testament. He was a Jewish boy. He memorized the Pentateuch. He did the whole thing. He understood exactly what the priest was all about. In Leviticus chapter 14, the reason why you go show yourselves to the priest is because when somebody's a leper and they've been cleansed or they've been healed, they have to go out. Listen, they have to go to the priest for the priest to deem them clean. And it's the priest that gives them, that, that issues them the certificate of reentry. It's the priest. How are we going to go show ourselves to the priest? We've got leprosy. What's the point of this? I don't know, man. What do you think we should do? Well, he's Jesus, and you told us that he's the miracle worker. I know he is. Let's just, but what should we do? Isn't it often interesting that we get to this moment? God gives us a command. He gives us, listen, there, there, we, we, we sense the Holy Spirit. We read something in the Bible, and we want all the details before we obey. Isn't that right? We want to have it all figured out. We want all the details. Matter of fact, we require the details. And yet he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And so here it is. All right, I guess we got to just go do that. And, and, and they just started kind of walking. And I said, it's very respectfully. But I mean, I mean, just, I mean, I don't know how they were able to walk. I don't know. I mean, how, because it affected every part of their body, their arms, their legs. I mean, it was just a very... A very tough sight. But, but they took one step and nothing happened. And then they took another step and nothing happened. But then they took another step and one of the guys looked at his hand and his hand looked a little bit different. And then they took another step and another guy's arm all of a sudden looked a little bit different. And they took another step, a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. And, and by the time they were 50 or 60 yards, their whole arms were looking good. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in verse 14, it says, and as they what? Say it, say it, went. They were, say it, cleansed. We often want the miracle before we obey, but I want to suggest to you that the scripture says the miracle happens as we obey. It's as we obey. It's as we obey. 
We want God to heal us, and then we'll go get counseling. How many of you know that God will often heal you through counseling? Are you all with me? Uh, we, we want God to provide miraculously before we fill out our job application. How many of you know God wants you to do something too? In other words, well, my marriage, God, heal my marriage, heal my marriage, heal my marriage. Well, you're going to have to say, I'm sorry. You're going to have to say, forgive me. You're going to have to go see. In other words, in other words, God's got the power, but we've got to have the obedience. And these, and these, and these lepers, they, they had to obey. Why is that? Because God's not into an event. He's into a relationship. Because the reality is, if they just listen, if he just gives them what they want right there, and they don't see how this thing works, then guess what? Tomorrow, when they need something, they don't realize that it comes through obedience. It's obedience to Christ. That's what Jesus said. And as they went, they were healed. I wrote this down. It brings us to a tremendous insight in Scripture. Our faith moves mountains when we obey what Jesus said. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. We don't do the removing, we do the obeying. His power is released, but our tongue, our mouth, our, 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 our step, our next step. In other words, as we obey, the miracles begin to happen in our lives. God spoke to Noah. He said, build an ark. It's going to rain. He didn't wait for the rain to build the ark. God told David, kill the giant. He didn't wait to walk up to the giant and go, how am I going to do it? He said, pick up five stones. Are y'all with me? In other words, what is God telling you to do to participate in the miraculous? There's something that we have to do. He tells it to do it. It's interesting that I, I, I wrote this down. So many of us are trapped in what I would call religious passivity. In other words, often we say that trusting God means letting him do it and him do it alone without our participation. Every miracle that I see in the Bible requires our participation. We don't do the miracle. We do the obedience. Some little boy had to give fish and bread that Jesus had to multiply. Jesus told the man with the, with, the, with the withered arm, stretch out your arm. And as he stretched it out, it was made whole. God told Moses, lift up your arms and the, the sea's going to... In other words, what is God telling you to do? What are we believing God for in our lives? Listen, what are we asking God for, but we've yet been unwilling to participate in to see it come to pass? We don't do the... Listen, we don't do the generating. We do the obedience. He does the miracle power. We do the obedience. Number three, look at the comeback. Verse 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I want you to think about this just for a moment. I mean, as they're walking, I mean, they got 50 yards out. They're like, what's up? This is amazing. Oh my gosh. I mean, they started running there, high-fiving one another. And one guy, only one guy goes, time out, time out. Hey, guys, 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 come here, come here, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Don't you think we should like go back and tell that guy thanks? Wouldn't that be a good idea? No, 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 man, we're healed. Oh, this is awesome. One dude's doing cartwheels, and he never was a cheerleader. He's just, I mean, just, they're, they're so, they, in other words, they were so caught up in the miracle, they forgot to go thank the miracle worker. They were so caught up in the manifestation of what happened, and trust me, I, I would be excited too. And the guy stopped. One guy. He goes, wait, wait, time out, time out, time out. Hey, I'm going to have to catch up with you guys I'm going to have to catch up with you guys because, by the way, can I tell you something that's really interesting? And I studied this out. I challenge you to do it this week. Most theologians believe, listen, that the other nine were Jewish. The group that should have been thankful wasn't thankful. 
The guy that was thankful was from a different race, a different religion, didn't look like him. I think he was, I think God was trying to make a point. Are y'all with me? How I many you know sometimes we can get so overly familiar that we feel entitled to and we forget to go back and say, thank you, Jesus. It's interesting this week I was, uh, I was telling you this. Because I don't, I don't want to forget. I tell people this all the time. Listen, whenever, whenever you start to feel entitled and yeah, and after all, and yeah, let me just tell you, it's good. It's healthy for our souls. And I want to say this to all of our campuses. It's healthy for your soul to remember how your life was the day before you became a believer. And I'm telling you, it's healthy. It's healthy. I was on a trip a couple of weeks ago with my wife and, and we were sitting around a table. We had a group of people that were with us and, and uh, that we didn't know. And we were introducing ourselves and and of course, you know, it gets to, you know, where do you live? And, you know, if you say, well, you know, you, you know, I said, we're kind of in the New Orleans region, you know, oh, it's great, the food, you know, the whole thing. And so, and so, you know, well, what do you do? You know, and I, you know, you know, I don't like to, I know I'll tell people, you know, I'm a public speaker. Because <laughs> if you say you're a pastor, they just, oh, you know, so it's like they start behaving differently. So, uh, so uh, now I don't, but anyway, they do. And so, so I, I said, well, you know, I'm actually... I'm actually a pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. I said, but I wasn't always a pastor. And I wasn't always a Christian. Matter of fact, and I just started talking about my, te- I just started sharing my testimony. I'm going to tell you this and that. And I just went through this. And I'm going to tell you I was this. And that, and, that, and, that, and, 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 and at the end of it, the, one of the ladies, because I, I just started sharing my testimony. And she goes, you really did need to become a Christian. <laughs> like on the bad to good pendulum. I was like way over here, right? <laughs> you want to go, y'all want to know why I tell you my testimony all the time? Not for you only. It's for me. Because I want to remember. I want to remember what it was like, the hopelessness, the despondency. I want to remember. I want to make sure to go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for not giving up on me. Thank you, Jesus, for not letting me go. Thank you. Th- Are y'all with me? Come on. We got to remember to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I remember what it was like. I remember what it was like before I was a believer. I remember. Listen, we, we, there, there was only one guy that went back to say thanks. Only one. Wow. Lord, let that not be me. Please, Lord. Please, Lord, keep my heart sensitive. Please, Lord. I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the other nine. I want to be in the one. I don't want to be in the other nine. I want to be in the one. Look at verse 17 and 19. I'm almost finished. So Jesus answered and said, Hey, were there not ten cleansed? How I many you know God knows? Are y'all with me? He knows. Let, let me help everybody. All right, let me help everybody, all of our campuses. Whenever Jesus asks you a question... It's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's like when God's up in heaven, he looks at Adam. Adam, where are you? Are you behind a bush I created I can't see around? <laughs> are you all with me? He knows. He knows. He knows. Every time Jesus asks a question, he's trying to get us to locate where we are, and he's trying to teach a lesson. Here's what he says. Hey, um, weren't there like 10 of you guys? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said, 
And he said to him, arise. Everyone say, arise. arise. Go your way. Your faith has made you. Say it with me. Well. If you listen carefully, you'll hear someone <clears throat> who's surprised, who's a little bit in shock, and is a little sad. I got to tell you, as a pastor at times, when uh, I, I, I feel so good when I see people come into church, and I know what they've been through. I know their lives are busted up. I know their lives are broken, and they've gone through a lot, and they come to church, and we'll see them crying out to God and coming up for prayer and in a small group and, 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 and God begins to heal their heart and do amazing things in their lives. And it's just awesome. I mean, it's just so wonderful. And, and, and maybe they've gone through a financial horrible situation, a relational horrible situation or, or something in their, just some pain in their soul. And, and they come into the house of God and God with his healing grace begins to heal them and, and, and love them. And, and the body of Christ begins to surround around them and they get in a small group and, 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 and their whole life begins to take on a different orientation of hope and faith and expectancy. And then years later, there's times where I've seen those very same people, they get just kind of, their life is back together. And they, 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 their life really comes back together and God blesses them. And God prospers them. And, 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 and maybe they get a new relationship where it's exciting and fun or whatever it is. And, and yet I'll see them oftentimes in the community. I'll say, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Pastor, we're so busy. And I, and I, and I want to go back. And I want to say to them, hey, man, I remember where you were. I remember exactly where your life was. I don't say it, but I really want to say it. I think it. And I went, man, I remember how desperate you were for God. Do you have to get back desperate again to get in that situation again to go back and say thanks? By the way, it, lest you think I'm, I'm sharing something that is odd or, or not familiar, that's called the whole book of the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament. It's the nation of Israel. I don't want to have to get desperate physically or emotionally or spiritually and be bankrupt and to be down and out and to be beat up for me to every day to say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> In other words... Let's stay grateful whether we got a lot or whether we got a little, whether we're in a blessing or whether we're in a burden. Let's stay grateful to God. Now watch this and I'll close. Watch this. Jesus said this. Don't miss this. By the way, there's no words in the Bible that are filler words. You guys know we got a lot of movies around here and there's, you're going to be in the movies, you're going to get $200, stand, sit in a basketball stand and when they raise a card, stand up and cheer, stand up and cheer. Filler person. Nothing wrong with it. Some of you may have been filler people. There's no filler words in the Bible. You all with me? Pull that last scripture up. Watch this. He says, your faith has made you what? Everybody say it. Jesus did the miracle. But it was his faith that actually made him well. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Watch this. Don't misquote what I'm about to say. Healing physically is one of the easiest things for us to receive. All nine of those guys got a physical healing, but only one got spiritual and emotional wholeness. Only one. The word well actually is the Greek word sozo. Everyone say sozo. And it means soundness, healing of the mind, healing of the soul, healing of the life, preservation. Preservation. 
See, see, gratitude, gratitude to God heals the mind. It heals the emotional realm. It heals the soul. Oh God, thank you. Thank you. When I say thank you, it releases chemicals in my when I say thank you, there's a release of the presence of God. When I say thank you, it, it affects my, my physiology, it affects my mind. By the way, when I say thank you to God, and when we express appreciation and, th- and gratitude to others. Thank you, honey, for doing that. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Your faith has made you well. Jesus is the miracle worker. Let's stay grateful to him. Let's stay thankful to him. Let's stay honoring to him. Come on, let's stay. Let's stay. Let's stay in that place. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. I'm going to ask everybody to bow our heads at all of our campuses. Those that are in our jails. Those that are online. Facebook, I want every single person, if you're able to, just to bow your head. I've got just a couple moments. If you're in this place, in any of our campuses, Baton Rouge, Gulf Coast, South Shore, here at Little Creek, I just want to talk to you just for a moment. I don't think it's a coincidence that you're in church this weekend. Maybe somebody bought you. Maybe you're a college student. You came in town because you're out of school. But God knows your address. He knows where you live, and He loves you. With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't think there's a, a, a greater moment than at the end of the service when we, this is a, a moment to trust Christ. See, becoming a Christian is not about joining a church. Church is amazing. But becoming a, a Christian is when you trust Jesus as your Savior. In other words, you say, I put my faith in Christ. He is the Savior of my soul. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Jesus does the saving, but we've got to do the believing. Jesus died for the whole world, but the whole world's not saved. It's those that trust Christ. In other words, those that take the steering wheel of their life and they put it in the hands of Jesus. My question is, do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today that you're ready to stand before God with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed? I want to pray for you, church. I want to pray for those that know who I'm talking to. If you say, Pastor, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. If that's you, the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to hold your hand up. I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. If that's you, one, two, three, quick.